Today on Never Was a Gamer, I was a gamer, actually, and if you're so smart, then on disc three of Final Fantasy IX, who wrote the play that Zidane quotes when he and Garnet are in the rowboat below Madane's sari and she asks him why he's helping her? It's Lord Avon, dipshit. I bet you don't even know how to get the secret Tomberry King Guardian Force in eight. I bet you don't even know how damage is calculated in tri- Welcome to Never Was a Gamer, the show where a late-blooming gamer makes up for lost time discovering everyone else's formative games. I'm Michelle, and with me as always is nobody special because today we are equals, (laughs) Dimitri. (laughs) Thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, today is a little bit of a change of pace for us. We're going to be talking about JRPGs, which is not a genre that's new to Michelle at all. We're on my home turf, baby. <laughs> this is, in fact, one of her favorite shows. Now you're in my corner. This is my <laughs> show. Yeah, so we're doing this as a bit of a mid-season break. Michelle's halfway through this first spate of games that we're playing leading up to playing a FromSoft game. I've been working hard. <laughs> yeah, she's been working really hard, facing a lot of challenges that are very unfamiliar. Yeah. Um, a lot of play styles that are very unfamiliar. Absolutely. And we thought that maybe... Just for a little midsummer break, mid-season break, we could go back to something that's more in her wheelhouse mm-hmm. for two reasons, really. One is because she's pretty familiar with JRPGs, it's probably going to be a while before we would talk about one anyway, and mm-hmm. it's something we want to talk about. They're really fun. Um, and really, this is going to be a lead-in into the next episode where we're going to debrief on Final Fantasy VII Remake. I am so excited for that conversation. I think this is... A, I think. This doesn't break so much with our vision of the show. It's kind of interesting because this is going to be the first remake that Michelle has ever played where she's actually played the original. Yeah, although it's still a tiny bit different because it's not like I played it when it came out, right? Mm -hmm. Like I was probably like 25 when I played, you know, it was (laughs) like 10 years ago, not like 20 years ago Yeah, when I played original Final Fantasy VII. But but it's also a game that you'd played the original and after you played the original, you saw this get announced and you've built anticipation. So we can actually talk about this gamer experience that you actually had um, kind of organically. So it, sh- so it should be fun. So I think the first thing that we should probably get out of the way is uh, both of our personal histories with JRPGs. I think I've talked a bit on the pod before about weirdly playing Final Fantasy IX when I was 18, even though I was not playing any games whatsoever at the time, and then just sort of uh, not picking anything else up at all uh, for like seven or eight more years. But JRPGs were a really big part of me getting back into games in my mid-20s. Uh, and I've talked a little bit about why I think that was, about you know accessibility and stuff like that. But really, the Final Fantasy series is my direct route back into this world. Um, and it's still really special to me because of that. Um, but Dimitri, I actually don't know very much about your personal history with JRPGs. I know you've played a number of them, but when did this start for you? So I guess I started playing them... Probably when I was maybe like about 10 or 11. Okay. But I remember seeing them much earlier. Like I mm. vividly remember seeing the commercial for then it was then it was called Dragon Warrior, but really the first Dragon Quest. Oh. It was, tra- it was called Dragon Warrior in North America on the NES. And I remember seeing this commercial about like this knight just kind of galloping through a field on his white okay. horse. Intercut with like a king telling him what his quest is going to be. Intercut with gameplay footage. Okay. Like I remember seeing that from really young and being super intimidated by what I was seeing. 
intimidated. Yeah, and and this is really my my experience with most JRPGs early on, like just seeing them and thinking that they're not for me, largely because of the perspective. Like I found the over the top perspective super intimidating. I might have talked about this when we were talking about Zelda, but until I was like 11, 10 or 11, um, my comfort zone was very much I move from left to right. Okay. And and just like on that flat plane, and I know where I'm going if I'm doing that. Something with a top-down perspective um, and like this freedom to go anywhere, I found that really terrifying. Like I remember thinking like, how would I know where to go or what to do? It is so, so funny to hear you say that because to me, JRPGs are the genre that I'm like, anyone can pick up and play this. No, it like, was- it's, it's the number one least intimidating thing in the world to me. And here's the other thing. So on, especially in that commercial, I remember thinking this too. And, and I think in a lot of art I saw of JRPGs, um, like in magazines or in these commercials, they'd always show your character on the world map. Okay. And like, I didn't understand the concept of world maps then. So I'd see this like character and I'd be like, why is he the same size as the mountain? <laughs> He's like enormous. <laughs> yeah. Like this is so stupid and confusing. Like, why is he bigger than this house? Like, you can't process this one conceit that's like for convenience in a game. No, like, and I didn't because I didn't know the genre, so I didn't know. Oh, he's on a world map, and like, he'll go to that. He'll like walk up to that town, and then he'll enter the town, and he won't right. be the size of the house anymore. Right, right. I just remember thinking, like, this looks so stupid. This looks so hard. I just want to move from left to right with my nice big chunky sprites. <laughs> and then, yeah, the other thing is like seeing the battles, just seeing people have to deal with menus, mm. too, too damn confusing. Like, Whoa. I don't want to have to like go through. Like, I didn't know what they were doing. This is so, this is actually so interesting. And then, to me, it's just like, oh, you just pick from the menu what you want it to do. Like, what could be simpler? No, it was, it was so confusing. And then, then the other thing I remember about RPGs and the reason that I really didn't touch them is because some of them started looking kind of cool to me. A mm-hmm. lot of them would have kind of cool box art, especially once they started breaking out of the medieval fantasy. That's right, never right, really right. something that I was into. Totally. But in Nintendo Power, the place that I saw RPGs the most was in the section called Counselor's Corner. Mm-hmm where like people wrote in with questions they had about games and like the the game experts would tell them how to solve a, a certain part. Okay, so they're asking for instructions basically. Yeah. Not, okay. And so there were a lot of RPGs that were a part of that. Hmm. And I remember just seeing them. So I so I was going back through old Nintendo Powers and like even this one. Like this is this is just after Final Fantasy 6 or 3 yep. as we knew it came out. It's like just look imagine me as a kid already thinking that these these games aren't for me. They're too fucking complicated. <laughs> and then Seeing this question being like, how can Terra's party enter the occupied town of Narsh? And then this person, <laughs> or like, how do I reset the clock in Zozo? And then the person <laughs> responding, the inhabitants of Zozo are notorious liars. Talk to all of them and take notes about what they see, about what they say regarding the hour. Like, no, thank you. <laughs> Anything that requires you to get a pen and paper to supplement your game, you are right out. You talked about this with like mapping out dungeons. Oh, I'm not doing dungeons. that. <laughs> <laughs> but it just sounded like what, like, I'd be so confused. puzzles and games. Not, I guess I didn't then. Okay. I, I just wanted to, like, yeah, left to right or fighting games, platformers. That was what I was, that was my wheelhouse. Okay. And this was just too damn much. <laughs> I love that question about Narsh. That's great. Like, those words make no sense. Right. I mean, but that's true with any, literally any game that you haven't, like, imagine me reading anything about Metal Gear Solid before having played it. Like, that's just what games sound like if yeah, you haven't already not like played. nine years old. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. So what what was it that eventually you picked up and played for the first time? So I might have talked about this before, how um, this is how I played a lot of games that I wouldn't have otherwise touched, that there was somebody, I think somebody who worked with my dad, 
just like was selling off all of these Super Nintendo games. Hmm. And so my dad just came home one day and just like dumped like 10 games on the ground. <laughs> he was like, I don't know what these are, but yeah, he's like, I like know them. you have this. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I like paid this guy like a hundred bucks and he gave me all these games. And in the pile was this game, Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, mm. which is this game that came out in 1992. I probably played it around 1995. And so I don't know. Do you know this game? I do not. Okay, so I found out later that this was the game that um, Square put out and made specifically for North American dum-dums because <laughs> they thought Final Fantasy, the mainline series, is too hard for these idiots. Okay. We need to put out this baby version to teach them what JRPGs are <laughs> Okay, because they're too damn stupid to, to play our proper games. So we pretty much got this instead of Final Fantasy V. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, like four, which we knew is two, had already come out, and I think they thought... Oh, this is like the sales weren't what they it's expected. Not it's not as popular as it is in Japan. It's got to be because these people are too stupid. Okay. And so, yeah, they made this game. It found its way to me a few years later, <laughs> which was actually perfect because <laughs> I was one of these dum-dums who needed yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, it's super simple compared to any other like final, like real like mm-hmm. mainline Final Fantasy games. Still, like I went back to check it. It still has really, really good music. Hmm. Um, so when you, is it? Based on five in the sense that it has like similar. No, it's not. It's it's not based on anything. Oh, okay, okay. It's like you're this like twerp. I think his name is Benjamin. Okay. And what's what's kind of cool is so you're so one of the ways it's kind of made for for dumb dumb babies like me was that you're just kind of in control of Benjamin. So you'd have these other people join. And so first of all, I was not expecting other people to join my party. Like NPCs to join your party. Yeah, like I had no right. idea that that was a convention. Right, because when do you use parties at, at this point? Yeah, outside like that of, yeah. was like to have these other people like join me and help me in battle. That was the, the coolest thing. Yeah, it still is. But these people, like these characters, they come and they join you, but they're all kind of temporary okay. and they're kind of pretty powerful. Hmm. So it's it's pretty easy. You're just kind of really um, taking care of your own gear and stuff. And I can't even remember if you can buy gear for them. But pretty much they're they're more or less self-sufficient. So you can kind of micromanage them, but you don't have to. And they can hmm. kind of get you through things, which is great. Enemies in this game were on screen. Like there were no random encounters. Hmm. So you could just fight who you, what you needed to fight, which great. was which was nice. A lot of puzzle elements, which I kind of liked. Yeah. Uh, more so than or other RPGs even at the time. So yeah, it wasn't like going back now, it's it's a little it's probably super simple and kind of boring but for me it was like a it was a nice little adventure that was a little it's an on-ramp yeah an on-ramp into the genre and there are a lot of things about it that i really liked Mm -hmm. and yeah so that was the first one i played and then it kind of got me interested in in the genre and then the first one that i got really excited to actually play um which is still one of my favorite games of all time is super mario rpg that would have come out in 1996 i was wondering when you were gonna bring up super mario rpg yeah and so that came out right at the right time for me because i had played a little bit of this, so I kind of knew what the genre was about, mm-hmm. but I, it was this world and characters that I was familiar with, and really it was like this, remember I talked about why I like um, like the Koopalings? Mm-hmm. Because they, they kind of established this Mario, this larger world. Yeah. Yeah, and this was that, right? Like right. It's like, oh, here's a Mario universe, a world that you can really fully explore mm-hmm. with some like weirdo characters. Okay. A lot of weird stuff. <laughs> yeah, and so this game I was anticipated a lot. I was really, really excited for it, maybe excessively. I actually, you're going to love this because of your player's guide thing. I bought the player's guide before the game came out. Okay. And probably read the player's guide front to back like 10 times. So you knew everything, you're, you knew every step you were going to take in this before you even. Oh, it didn't even matter. And like, I, start. And I, like I loved reading the charts at the back that had like the enemy breakdown, like what their HP was. I and will never understand their attack this. was. 
it, yeah, it, it did not ruin it at all. It just built the anticipation for me because I just <laughs> wanted to actually get into that world. Like it, it was, it was, it did not spoil a thing. This is like, I mean, a, it spoiled everything, yeah, yeah, yeah. but for me, I did not care. It didn't ruin anything. No, I, this nothing is was a ruined. different cultural universe from where we are now in terms of what we want to know before playing games. Yeah, it was, it was a better time. And I mean, like the player's guide doesn't even ruin any of the main things about it. Like th- it has, the gameplay is great. It has mm-hmm. some action elements. It has some platforming elements, which yeah. are actually another really good way to onboard me. Kind of a lot of platforming. Onto the actually. genre. Yeah. Cause it was like something I'm more familiar with, like in, in like a perfect combat system, especially for that world. Great characters, new characters and old characters. This is where you get the establishment of Bowser is kind of this lovable buffoon. Yeah, like type. a clownish character yeah, which, as opposed to Yeah, which kind of carried forward mm-hmm. and, and like playable Bowser. Right. And playable Peach, they're they're on your team. And then these other guys like Mallow and Gino were also really great with a great backstory. Yep. You, you go to Nimbus Land with Mallow. <laughs> um other great characters. My brother loved this stupid shark named Jonathan Jones. He was like the, obsessed the thief with this guy. Thing? No, that's not the thief. No, the thief you're thinking of Croco. Oh, that yeah, his yeah, name? yeah. Yeah, yeah. It is. No, Jonathan Jones is a shark who lives in this haunted ship. Um That is such a dumb name for <laughs> There's this guy Booster. Yep, Booster. Who's just like a creep. A horrifying face. Like, he's just this disgusting, lecherous creep who wants to marry Peach. The most bizarre art design in this game, full of weird art design. He's awesome. Like, thank you for putting this weirdo in this game. <laughs> I was so excited to get to his tower and then kick his ass. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You want to knock him out instantly. And then he eats that cake boss. It's- oh, my God, I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah, it and it like it looked amazing. The music was amazing. This was like Yoko Shimomura score, and she's like the I think you love her. She might be my favorite composer of all time. She's definitely top three. It's just a magical world. I love every second of it, even if the last boss is a stupid Santa Claus. The last boss in JRPGs is a thing that we could get to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so Mario RPG was like the big one. Mm-hmm. And then after that, I went back and I think the next one I played, which had already been out for two years by the time I played it, um, was Earthbound. Okay. And that's another game that in North America came with a player's guide. Right. So I got my player's guide. I mean, from what I've played of Earthbound, I kind of get that more. That game can be a little opaque. Yeah. And and the player's guide is just beautiful. It has like these little claymation guys. It's it's just gorgeous. So, like reading that and it's kind of put together as a travel guide. Cool. Really, really nice. Cool. And yeah, Earthbound again was one of those games that I dismissed at first because it had a stupid, it had the worst marketing campaign. Like the marketing campaign was like, this game stinks. And it came with like a Nintendo Power little scratch and sniff stickers that like smelled like puke. Cause like this game has puke that you fight. And like that's what, how they wow. promoted the game. I mean, to be fair, that's not the easiest game I think to explain right. its charms uh, without having being able to just like go on the advice of someone you trust who's like, no, play it. It's really interesting. Yeah. And I, so I don't remember what made me want to pick it up. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just going back, like knowing now, okay, RPGs are a thing I like because mm-hmm. this was pre-internet for me. So I think it was just going back through old issues in Nintendo Power and like seeing it and be like, oh, this looks kind of cool. What else is in this format? That yeah. We could, yeah. And like, it's just so weird and like sad and scary and funny and earnest and hopeful and it captured it's like up there with me with like home alone as like the media object that best captures what it feels like to be a kid yeah 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 um and it's like it's it's so specific about certain things and stays grounded even as the plot spirals out of control like there's this alien plot but you can still call your parents Mm -hmm. like you never forget where you came from yeah 
And like, there was just something, I don't know, like being just in a regular town where you just eat food to heal was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, it taught me not to trust, not to trust hippies, which is a <laughs> really good. You still live by that lesson. rule today. But, but you know what I mean? Like, it's one of those things where it's like, oh, like these people, like as kids, you see these kind of like, yeah, these, these like we, adults, but weird. Yeah, and and so you can you just fantasize about <laughs> what they could be and what what their backstory may. Like, yeah, these are just guys, but like in my, in like your child mind, you see these people who don't who look off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so they become, you know, you just kind of spiral out of control. And this game like captured that so well. It's again like the Home Alone thing with like yeah. the neighbor. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like uh, that you like, build up this whole mythology about in your head based yeah, on your- like the most imaginative. And I think the other thing at the time why I really got into RPGs around this time in Super RPG is because there are great games to play with my little brothers watching. Mm, that like, makes sense. Reading it to them, like my brother, like again, this game, there's this enemy called Foppy that just looks like a big tomato. <laughs> one of my one of my brothers like loved that character, went out for Halloween as that character. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Earthbound Super RPG, like that combo really got me on board. Um, and then made me want to go back and play all the other kind of like classics on the Super Nintendo, like the Final Fantasies on Super Nintendo, Chrono, Chrono Trigger. Chrono Trigger. Yeah, because the mention before I didn't have a PlayStation 1. Um, so I actually played Final Fantasy 7 on the PC. Oh. It was a PC version. And then once my cousin got a PlayStation 1, we went and played all of those. Okay. Like that's where I played the like Final Fantasy 8, Chrono Cross. Sure. that. You know, it's funny you bring up the the Chrono series, actually, because talking about first brushes with RPGs, my actual first memory of anything JRPG related by far predates my Final Fantasy IX escapades. I have a specific and distinct, and I don't know why I have retained it, visual memory, like a snapshot in my head of seeing um, the, the jewel case for Chrono Cross sitting on the basement carpet in front hmm. of where my brothers had their system set up. And this was during in the big period where I was probably in like junior high or high school or something like this. Um, so I wasn't playing it. I wasn't touching it. I wasn't curious about it. I didn't do anything. But I have such a specific memory of of that cover and that art and how it looked. And so... Here's, here's what I want to know. Yeah. How could you see that? And not say, I need to know more about this thing. Well, so that's how I feel now. <laughs> when I eventually played it later, Chrono Cross for a while was like maybe my favorite JRPG. And I still will. Listen, I'm going to have a lot to say about Chrono Cross in mm-hmm. this episode. But I don't know. It, there was something so compelling about it. it. Just remember, this is in the category where I'm this might as well be like uh, an architectural magazine. Like this is just mm-hmm. not something that I have anything to do with. It would never occur to me to pick this up. And try to play it. But for some reason, I just, that stuck with me. Like, I still, it's so recognizable. As soon as I saw it on your shelf, like, 20 years later, I, I knew exactly what it was. Well, then I'm glad you Weird, eh? It. Yeah. That's, I mean, JRPGs, I think, for me, was, they were, like, the onboarding to starting to think about games more seriously. And, like, oh, games can, like, move me. And mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and that's the first time I started really paying attention to music in games, was playing JRPGs. Often just incredible music. Yeah, I remember playing Final Fantasy VI for the first time and at the opening when like Terra's theme comes on, just being like in awe. Incredible. Like, unbelievable. Same thing with um, Chrono Cross. When you get to the alternate world, mm-hmm. the map theme of that another world. The another world, world map. Oh yeah, my God. I remember my cousin and I both just like put the controller down and just listened to the music for like 10 minutes. You know what? Actually, I think a formative moment in me fully getting back into games is just putting Chrono Cross, and this was in when I, I maybe played like Final Fantasy VI and VII at this point. I think I was like starting to get through JRPGs again. Putting 
Chrono Cross in the PlayStation, the disc, opening it up and just watching the the opening like pre like pre start scene, scene with um that just it's like it's just one of the most exciting things I mm-hmm. still I mean relatively based on my experience at the time like was one of the most exciting things I had like ever seen on a screen yeah and it's still just, the music up. is incredible and so thrilling and it's like incredibly beautiful and full of mystery and just moves so so quickly and it's so powerful like it it just it when we talk about the moment in games when you know that you're playing something special Mm. as opposed to just something good i had that before i started this game (laughs) with this i was like okay this is it this is gonna be something this is really gonna be something special uh and i was right so I have a specific question about what it was like uh, playing and being around JRPGs in this period of like, whatever, 10 to 12 or like your sort of junior high era. I It's been interesting the last little bit because there's been a lot of people talking about uh, things like the original Final Fantasy VII because of the remake coming out. I heard something recently that baffled me from someone who was there at the time. And I want to get your take on this. Okay. They said that even amongst... They resisted getting into JRPGs for a long time because even amongst people who are playing games, uh, JRPGs were viewed as like dorky or like nerdy or weird. Did did you have any of that sense or like did you care about that? Like what did you think about that at the time? For me, like I said, it's not that they were dork. I mean, maybe weird is, is part of it, but it's not that they were dorky. It just they seemed impenetrable. Okay. And none of my friends really played them. Okay. Um, so it's it's one of these things I kind of had to discover on my own and really with my cousin discovered them mm-hmm. and we started playing them more and then my brothers got on board. But yeah, I don't know any of my friends who played them. My friends played like PC point and click adventures, which is kind of something else that might have helped with the onboarding. Right, for me. right. Right. Like kind of something that's more. I mean, obviously, in a lot of those, there's no combat, but more story driven kind of has puzzles, a lot of like problem solving mm-hmm. often. um pretty opaque about what you have to do and you really have to like prod at the world to figure it out like that was kind of spatial stuff kind of overlaps too yeah and like i had friends that played that but now that i think about it i don't think any of my friends growing up really played jrpgs um either they played the things that i did prior on consoles like platformers or Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um like multiplayer fighting games mortal Kombat, yeah yeah or a lot of my friends were big pc gamers so they were doing like strategy games oh hmm. um on pc um yeah, yeah, neither, neither of us really have a big history with PC gaming, right? Right? Not as much. Like, mine is usually through my friends, like going to my friend's house and seeing what they were playing. Right. But yeah, so JRPGs was really something that I got onto on my own. I do know that generally, though, they weren't... Final Fantasy VII was really the breakthrough moment for them. Okay. Um, When something about just like the quality of those CG cutscenes was enough for people who didn't no- normally take notice to actually take notice and say, mm. okay, this looks some- like something special. Hmm. And then people who might have dismissed them before got on board and then realized, oh, this is now what we call... I mean, I didn't have the word anime in my head. Right, right, right. Like, I didn't know what that was when I got into them. But people who might have been put off by that sensibility or that style, I think, jumped on it at seven. Sure. And then you immediately can go back and play six, and that's right there, and it's incredible. And so then... Yeah. So for a lot of people, I think that was the that was the onboard. Sure. Just because it's it, it just looks so good that if you have a PlayStation, you need to try it out because you just it's unlike anything you'd ever seen before. Graphical powerhouse. I, I mean, at least the, at least in the cutscenes, like not in those sprites. Like even <laughs> the then, the sprites are pretty funny. But but yeah, if you go back to like the the 
the commercials for that games, they're really pushing the CG hmm. cutscenes. Like that, that that was the day, right, where extended CG cutscenes were really a reward. Yeah. And were treated as such. And yeah. and it wasn't like now where you kind of just want to get to the game. Right. You wanted to progress so you could see the next cutscene because it was so special. Hmm. And yeah, and JRPGs, I think, at least especially on consoles, really pushed that. That's cool. Yeah. I I just like trying to get my head around the dynamics of um how like people our age in the moment were were thinking and relating to different like emerging genres of of video mm-hmm. games, especially something like JRPGs have had such a wide influence on so many other types of games and the evolution of different genres. And so mm-hmm. or it, like RPGs in general. Yeah, yeah, have, yeah, yeah. Which is which is which is different. And and like I like I kind of pretty much came to like quote unquote Western RPGs after JRPGs, mm-hmm. uh, which is which is kind of interesting. Though I, I I'm guessing that that's the case for a lot of people who don't have a, a a strong background with PC games. Right, right, right. Just out of curiosity, what would be some of the first Western ones that you got into? I mean, I don't even know if I got into them. Like I would have played, I would have tried playing like a Baldur's Gate. Okay. In like 1998, I think. The like D&D tradition ones kind of. Yeah. And those were always a bit too opaque for me. So here's maybe a useful way to frame the problem. So in an interview in the late 80s, uh, Yuji Hori, the creator of Dragon Quest, mentioned that for him, RPGs weren't about growing a character through stats, but rather about making sure the player felt they were playing the role of the hero. I think this is a useful distinction that we can at least loosely map onto. Western versus Japanese approaches to RPGs, right? Because in JRPGs, you're not so much role-playing a character you build from scratch, mm-hmm. but it's about giving you a world to inhabit as a hero character. But in a lot of Western RPGs, you can often build your character from scratch and approach problems in a number of different ways. And it really took me a while to get on board with that approach. It can be a very fun thing, but if mm-hmm. if what you're used to liking in, in RPGs is sort of character-driven and world-driven and all that, it's a very different relationship. Yeah, um, and it just stresses me out having to like decide <laughs> what kind of character I want to play. And like, what if I build a ship build and then I can't progress? Like, it's, it stresses me out. Boy, it's, I've done that. Someday I'll tell the uh, Dragon Age 1 story <laughs> of how I didn't understand how stats work. Yeah, like, that kind of still stresses me out. It was just put me in a world, make me the protagonist. Yeah. And like, let me feel like I am really contributing to the progression of this story in this world. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And I think that's one of the things that does make JRPGs feel accessible to me is I think most of them, Earthbound is sort of on the opaque side of the scale, but most of them really are like setting you up for success. Like you're most of the time going to have like a pretty well composed party with a whole conceit that sort of makes sense and and holds together we need to get you back playing earthbound you keep talking about it being is as it being this opaque thing i think you maybe i, think I was just to, confused by yeah i think i think we that might be a revisit one episode because i i need to replay that too so yeah i i feel bad that i bounced off of that we can come pick it up later Okay, I think that's a pretty good overview of our personal histories. Um, Why don't we take a break? And when we come back, we'll talk about some of the sort of signature elements of JRPGs, why we love them, and get into some of those details. Okay, we're back. 
and now we can start digging into why we play JRPGs. And we're going to bracket things like story or great music and really focus on what we get from these games that we don't get as much from the other games that we play. Totally. What is it that still draws us to JRPGs as a genre? Like, I still get the itch to play them all the time, and it's probably partly due to nostalgia, but I think it's also because this is a unique genre all on its own. Yeah, I would include art style also in uh, mm-hmm. in that list of things that were sort of we like. And so here's okay. So we know they they look great, they sound great. Okay, here's here's the thing though. You usually don't like anime art styles. Okay, so why do you like JRPG? But lots of them don't. So one important thing here is I still kind of don't like anime art styles. For example, the reason I've never played a Dragon Quest game, despite in theory I should love those games is that I just do not vibe with that art style. Okay, so maybe, okay. It actually might be, you might actually really like anime art styles. You just don't like Akira Toriyama's art okay. style. Okay, <laughs> just that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know why. I, I I just, it doesn't speak to me. It's, I I, I feel nothing. Yeah, I think, I think for lots of reasons, JRPGs truly are like a bomb on 21st century adult life. JRPGs are the opposite of, being a boring adult with an office job. Um, and I truly do think that this is part of their their continued success story. Um, but as we're digging into this, I think one of the first and most important things that is truly special in JRPGs is the, the idea of parties, which we started to talk about, but there's so much more to say about this. I think I think it's really core to the identity of this genre that you are not adventuring alone. You are going to meet or bring with you a range of allies with with a range of individual goals and personalities and motives, and that you are going to be on this adventure with friends. That is a fundamental law of JRPGs. So I don't I don't know if I'd call it a fundamental law. Really? Um, I it's definitely a reason that I go to them. I prefer a JRPG with a party for sure, and. Like I said, playing Mystic Quest, seeing getting a party member, even though I'd only kind of have one at a time. Yeah. That was that felt so special. And then in other games where you kind of build more of a party, it got to the point where in the opening hours of JRPG, I feel lonely yeah. without a party member. <laughs> yeah. And I just really they really I like really strive for that point where I get my first party member and like yeah. I feel more relaxed when yeah. uh, there's somebody else helping me. <laughs> yeah. But there are definitely JRPGs that are JRPG ass JRPGs without parties. Name one. So okay, a a good one is um, it's Terranigma. Okay. So and these often tend to be more um, action JRPGs. Okay. Where you're kind of doing combat in real time. Yeah. And so part of the reason you don't have a party is because they might not have mechanisms for you to control the party. That okay. might be difficult to program. Sure. But this game is so lonely, like tonally. Mm. That just being this being alone in this world is really meaningful. It's it's one of the like saddest, most lonely games I've ever played. Hmm. It, like it's it, it's pretty intense and it just nails the tone. And not having a party is actually pretty meaningful in that game. But by and large, and like I would actually prior, I would kind of avoid JRPGs where I didn't have a party. And sometimes if I know there's no party, if you're just a, a, a single protagonist, I just won't pick What's it the up. Point? So first of all, I'm gonna play Terra Enigma now. <laughs> uh yeah, yeah, that's a game that actually wasn't released in North America. It was one of the the company's quintet, and they released other RPGs that made it. And this one didn't actually make it to North America, but I hmm. but until kind of recently, it kind of resurfaced. Hmm. I don't think I've ever played a JRPG that doesn't have a party. Even you know, some of them have a little bit of a minimal 
system. Like, I mean, I'm thinking even most recently of like near automata, which is mm-hmm. sort of in this, in this frame where you sort of typically have two and you don't necessarily fully control both of them always. But yeah, I, I think there's still, even that, you know, what you're saying about Terra Enigma is like playing with the negative space of where, where the party should, where be. the yeah. party should be. Yeah. And I think this, this sense of shared mission with a group of people can be something that is really appealing uh, mm-hmm. in there's sort of a clarity of purpose often that the party all comes around mm-hmm. to. And, um, so, and so here's something that I hate about modern JRPGs. Okay. I think most of them, I, I don't know any recent ones that I've played where this wasn't the case. Whereas recent ones now, like they know everybody loves the party mm-hmm. and they plaster the entire party over all yes. of their advertising on their title screen. Yes. I mean, actually, I do. I, I, I am thinking of an exception. I'm not going to mention it because it's a game you haven't played. And okay, it's, great. It's a good twist. Great, great, um, great. But yeah, for me, one of the most important things about a party, one of the most pleasurable things about playing games in the past, and maybe I would, and again, I probably would have known the party if I read all the magazines, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. like all the magazine articles about these things. I Yeah, I just love games where you where it's unclear who the party members will be mm-hmm. and and the who your party is going to be becomes part of the process of discovery so that means they don't advertise them in advance yep. and they don't design your party members somehow differently than every other <laughs> character in the game right it's like oh this person's been given way too in much like, like bondage armor when design attention <laughs> like this person's definitely going to be in my party yeah 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 for sure it also like not knowing especially in a game where there are missable party members, mm, which is lots mm-hmm. of them, it really, it makes such a difference for drawing you into the world because it just helps, for me at least, it helps me feel like I have to pay attention to every NPC. Mm-hmm. I have to pursue things that people are asking of me. Like, it makes me invest in that world because I don't know who I'm, of anyone I'm talking to at any given moment is going to become someone really important to me and mm-hmm. become a party member and have that value. Though there is there is kind of a careful balance here. Yeah. Because on the flip side, one of the obviously one of the weaknesses I think universally agreed upon with Chrono Cross is there's too many damn party members yeah. that are possible. <laughs> and they don't all have equal motivations for joining the party. Totally. Like yeah, like you definitely want or I definitely want party members with strong motivations for joining your party and coming on this journey with you. Yeah. That are then kind of called upon throughout the game. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like yeah. The, that like, means something. Yeah, like it, each yeah. party member needs to have at least a mini arc, if not a full right. a full character arc. Right. But yeah, getting back to games like this whole, we need to show you your party up front, it drives me nuts. Please, can I tell you about the opening of Persona 5? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Like, why? Why would you do this? In the opening, like, musical, cinema, whatever thing, before you start that game, it shows you every one of your party members in advance. Like, they all go to the same high. Like, you're going to see them all within the first hour of the yeah, game. Like that's At least most of them in the first hour mm. of the game. It's like, I, yeah, why would right. I want to know this? Like, that's a, such a good game and it's such a good structure where they could just like introduce you to all these different characters and you're just wondering who's going to like cuz the frame of that game also is that people don't start out as great fighters like mm-hmm. you, you are a mundane person that has like crazy powers in this other mm-hmm. world and so anyone theoretically could become that like that's in the game yeah. same same as Dragon Quest 11 the loading screen has like the silhouettes of the entire party <laughs> silhouettes are a little better although no, Often because... your characters, like your characters should have a recognizable silhouette. That's it. This is one of the things that 
a mark of a good RPG. If your character, if if I can see a silhouette of your characters, yeah. of the main party, and I don't, and I can't immediately recognize what game that is, it's a bad game. <laughs> it's a bad JRPG. Like your art design was lacking. Go back to the yeah, like board. like that is for me one of the things that makes a good JRPG. I need to be able to, if I could see a silhouette of those characters and know immediately what that game is, I'm that's a-, a good party, and yeah. I know. All of those party members. I'm a hundred percent sure my like top ten or twelve favorite JRPGs I could pick out from silhouette. And no so this Dragon Quest Eleven, great party members, great design, very recognizable silhouettes. The second you see that character up oh, here in the here game, it like, is. there's my party member. Right, which is it is still exciting, but it's I completely agree. It's not the same. It's the opposite of the rogues gallery. Thing. <laughs> yeah, actually, why doesn't that logic work for you then? If you love seeing the for me, this is the same as I don't want to see necessarily all the the bad guys or the or the villains up front. Like, why why do you think you like seeing uh, the rogues gallery, but you don't like seeing your party members? The villains are threatening. Like, I need to know like what all the villains are and like what's their little twist. Like, what what is their power? What's and I need to like anticipate what it is I'm going to be confronting and coming up against. Okay. When it's people on my team, I like to be surprised. Okay. And and to see what they contribute. Okay. Yeah, it's different if I'm going to be fighting them. Yeah, I guess. I guess. The the exception <laughs> is in those cases where there is that party member that's like set up as a rival and that you do have to fight and then sure. joins your party. Sure. There you can tease me early. Right. With that. With that. I mean, even te- I truly love a renegade party member. Even teases of party members early in the game, like foreshadowing of party members. Sure. That's fine. Just don't sure, put sure, them sure. on your box or your title screen. Yeah. 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 Once you're in the game, you can we can start having hints. I am um, one of the things that I love about having parties in JRPGs is that you get the option to or the ability to like optimize different characters in different directions. Like as opposed to having any sort of RPG or like action game where, you know, you you only have one main character and so you have to do this really balanced like okay, I think I want to play in this sort of way, but I need them to have this much defense still. We talked about this a bit around stealth and mm-hmm. like specking a, a stealth character. I love being like, you're my strong tank. Up, like down intelligence, up strength and defense. You dumb as a rock shit, like go out there and mess okay, it up. So do you- or like having your mage class where it's like, you're going to have just through the roof magic. I know I'm going to have to shelter you. Like being able to actually optimize in different directions. So do you like then um, the party configuration where each character serves a specific like archetypal function? Sometimes. Or like a certain class or job function. I can like that. I don't need it, but I can like it. I like having some flexibility. Like I'll say... I I don't love in some games where you get um like a mage who's only really a good healer and only becomes a damage dealer in very late game. Mm. Like that, for example, is something that I find kind of frustrating sometimes. Um, like the white versus black mage mm-hmm. thing. It's like, well, if they can do magic, then what like some of that is frustrating and I think a little bit like too constraining. But I like I like having a little bit of a structure to a party where you're not just three or four guys. <laughs> <laughs> like, mm-hmm. um, and I think a lot of the time it it's like it's pretty simplistic and often it's pretty archetypal but like I like when characters battle styles reflect their personality that is that's my number one I thing. love yeah. it I love it it makes me so happy as long if your moves reflect something about your character I don't care what if you 
correspond to a specific class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or yeah. if or if I can change your class as long as like what your moves are correspond to something about your personality. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about this actually in terms of um like more more rigid job and class structures. So I sort of have a basic understanding of what those are because I've played so many games that sort of inherit them or have them like under the hood mm-hmm. kind of. But I've never actually played a, a JRPG where it's like this is your white mage or like this is your warrior or your ro- like I've Oh, you definitely have. I I don't think so. Like Final Fantasy 10 is that. It's not like named and strict though, I don't think. Oh, you mean where they actually literally say you're a white Yeah, mage. I mean I mean this is like an inherited structure that is in a ton of the of the like that JRPGs is coming that from, persist. Uh, yeah, I mean that's coming from even like Final Fantasy 1 you're just like a white mage or a, yeah. or a dark mage. Well, and then you have something more recently like Octopath Traveler that sort of iterates mm-hmm. on that idea in terms like turns jobs and classes into like a little bit more of a creative mm-hmm. thing than just a, a role in battle. But yeah, so I sort of have like a funny working knowledge of what these different like mage types are and everything, despite not ever, like I kind of know what a blue mage is, despite mm-hmm. not never having... Like that name. Yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I'm just curious about a few things. So one thing, I just want to know like your preference. Do you like having a permanent center to your party or do you like being able to swap out the lead? Like, do you like the parties where you kind of have to always have one central character? Like you can't swap out this character or do you like to be able to configure them with all the characters? Um, My favorite is actually middle ground. So I like having one character who I'll say almost always is the lead. Um, but then I love when you have a short segment where you don't have that character suddenly and like another character gets to be the lead one who's like running around Mm. the the map or whatever. And you feel the absence of that character that you've gotten so used to playing. Mm. Um, I think. Yeah. Like Final Fantasy seven does that. Chrono Trigger does that. Nine does that. Chrono Cross does that. Yeah. Lots, lots of my favorites do this. So I think, I mean, I think they can all work. I like the, I like the, the groundedness of having somebody who you're sort of is there for you to experience the story through or with. Um, and this is related actually to something else, which is that I don't love the historic silent protagonist mm. tradition in JRPGs. Um, I vastly prefer ones where there's more character to the the sort of main character that you're mm. mostly controlling and playing as. I would always rather have personality and, and story and everything attached to that person than not. Uh, so something like, um, you know, Chrono and Chrono Trigger is a great example. Mm. It doesn't say anything. It's just sort of like you don't know a mm. ton about them, really. They're just sort of your placeholder. So I think I think there's a lot more for me that goes into uh, where the anchor is in a story. Mm-hmm. Actually, an interesting thing about Chrono Cross is I would argue one of the an- the anchors of that story is actually Kid, not Chrono. Even though Chrono is sort of the or Surge is the one that you always are, if that makes sense. You almost have a secondary character who has that anchor function and has the mm-hmm. personality that grounds the entire game, even though you don't have her in your party all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, Re- related, um, when given the choice, do you rename your party members or do you keep the no, default names? No, default names. Okay. <laughs> okay. That was a strong opinion. I do not understand why anyone would want this. <laughs> this is, this is baffling to me. Although actually the first time I played nine, I did rename them all different dumb <laughs> things. I was trying to remember some of what I, what I named them. I think I had just read house of leaves by Mark said Danielowski. And so oh I think. 
God. I know. I know. Listen, this is the kind of 18-year-old that I, I need was. to know these names. Okay. So here's what I can remember. Uh, and then I want to know your answer to all this. Uh, I know Freya. I named Echo. I don't remember what I named Zidane. I don't remember what I named Garnet. Uh, I think I named uh, Steiner, like Navidson, which is like the main character of, of well, one of the, an important character in House of Leaves. Uh, I hate this. Yeah, I know. Listen, we would not have been friends if we, <laughs> if we like, were trying to hang out at this point. So yeah, I did that with Final Fantasy IX. I don't know why. <laughs> it, it, like that me is unrecognizable to me now. I've never, I don't think I've ever since like renamed characters. Have you? Do you? I don't usually, there must've been times that I did. I just don't remember. Sure. They're nothing memorable enough. Yeah. I usually go with the default. Even in Persona, I'll go and I'll find out what the canon protagonist's <laughs> yeah, name totally. is and put and input that. Like I'll go the extra step because they don't tell you what it is. Yep. I'm like, okay, what's he supposed to be called? Because I did that, the same that'll thing. That'll be correct. Yep. Because it's just so stupid if you like put in your name and like I'll, everybody else has these Japanese names and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes the genders don't line up yeah. for me. It's like Michelle and it's like the male gray hair protagonist so what do you what 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 are your feelings about um do you want to be able to completely customize your whole party or do you want to have a main character who's always there i i think i like being able to flip i think i prefer parties when everybody is kind of an equal Mm. and that and that also brings me to like i don't like filler characters in parties sure they they stink and a lot of a lot of i mean it's in the name (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> but and and again maybe and what i define as a filler character other people might not define as a filler character mm-hmm. final fantasy 9 uh, filler characters i love that game but there are filler characters core cast can't be beat extended characters uh what the hell is amaranth doing there get off right get off the screen man right you know what this is another thing i would say jrpgs they have a set of archetypes for characters that either because of the genre or like the japanese influence i don't know that I had to get used to, like child fighters, <laughs> mm, mm-hmm, <laughs> like mm-hmm. having, having like just stone cold kids, like children in your in your party, um, is something that I had to get used to. <laughs> it's a little weird at first. Yeah. Um. No. Yeah. No kid party members, especially if they're voiced. Yeah, <laughs> it's not good. A, no a ba- good rule. No baby talk from anyone who's gonna like be fighting a cosmic entity. <laughs> Even like actually, I would say in JRPGs, you're more likely than a lot of other games to be to have like teens as your main characters, which it's funny because they often like don't sort of read as teens, especially like often they just feel like adults, like they could be 20 or 24 until you'll have a weird plot point where like one of them turns 16 and you're like, (laughs) whoa. (laughs) But I mean, so like I found that weird a little bit at the start, but I don't know, I've, I've like I've come to kind of like this actually about the genre because I I think I think JRPGs treat teens more the way teens see themselves than even I think a lot of Western media mm-hmm. like as basically adults only with a little less power and freedom and control over their own lives and so much about JRPGs a lot of the plots are about getting outside your small bubble and uh, growing and learning about the world and all this stuff so I think actually it like works for me. Yeah. In the end? And, and, no, so, yeah, actually, this is this is good. Yeah, I'm going to go back. I'm going to recant my no children thing because, yeah, obviously, one of my favorite games and parties of all time is the Earthbound cast. Right, right, but, right, right. But it's because they're children who see themselves as children see themselves. Right, right. And that's communicated. So it's not like child, kids don't see themselves as big babies. Yeah, totally. 
so I don't have to deal with that with yeah. those games. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So do you have any favorite or least favorite parties of all time? I have so many. Uh, you know what? Every one of my favorite JRPGs has is also because it is mm. one of my favorite okay, parties. Fair. Those two things are so inseparable for me, I think. Like, I can't think of a JRPG I love with a trash main party. Mm. I <laughs> if mean, that makes sense. Yeah. I think maybe Final Fantasy X is the one I like the most despite its party. Mm. Um, there's a lot that I really like about that game. And honestly, I don't find most of those characters to be like all-star memorable from the series. Oh, I know. I'm sorry. Kamari uh, not pass. Kamari not pass. Uh, Oren, very hot. But, <laughs> <laughs> but other than that, it's it's a little bit of a. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, how do you how do you separate those? Yeah, I, I, yeah. One place where this really crystallized for me, and it's not that the party the party dynamics in Super Mario RPG are, are that strong, mm-hmm. but it is. I still think it is a, a special party, especially at the Gino and Mallow, the kind of additions outside of the normal Mario characters that really add something. Which we've never seen again in another yeah, game. Yeah, sadly. <laughs> but the later Mario RPGs, like Paper Mario's and the Mario and Luigi series, I like those games, but I think the lack of a strong party structure is the reason they've never clicked as much. And mm. I don't love them as much, even though... Uh, like Thousand Year Door is very funny. It's a very good game. Mm-hmm. But there is just no real party. Um, in those games, you get... It's in the Paper Mario series are the, the first two. I haven't played any of the, the latter ones after Thousand Year Door. You just kind of get like a partner. You get partners. Okay. And so there's only kind of one character following you around at a time. And they're usually versions of Mario enemies, like a Goomba, but with like personality. But like a special Goomba, a, a yeah. sentient Goomba. <laughs> yeah. And like all the Goombas in the game will be will be sentient, but there'll be one with like a, a quirky personality. But even still, it's like you're still like a Goomba. Yeah. It's not on the level like I of... Like I don't want... Like even if you're like a cool Goomba and you're funny, <laughs> you're still like the the like most lacking You're not on my level. Enemy. Yeah. 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 Um, who's like on who's on my team now and and the way that you kind of bring them into battle only you can have one at a time and then you can later like you can swap them out mm-hmm. but there's like no banter among the party and because you can only use them one at a time in battle they always they, they kind of felt like like well-scripted objects sure more than like sure. a party sure or maybe like pokemon yeah that like i yeah, yeah but, you know yeah. but there's not an equal relationship with those party members and i never felt that i never felt camaraderie among the party it was clearly like Mario is the hero. Right. And then these like these are like my lackeys who will help me. And so even despite the really good writing and the really good battle mechanics and and the great music, those games just never really cohered for me in the same way as Mario RPG and I think it's because of the lack of the strong party. Hmm. So the thing that we love about these games and for me this is really inseparable from the party system it kind of follows from it, mm-hmm. turn-based battles. Mhm. This is why this is, I think, one of the crucial things that makes me feel like this is one of the most accessible genres of game that's not like casual games. And obviously, right, not all JRPGs, hashtag not all JRPGs, (laughs) turn-based battles, especially now. But it's really what I associate with like JRPGs and like the the ones that are the most meaningful for me. Yeah. Um, And... It's something that I still want to return to. I still need games to have turn-based battle systems. Um, anytime somebody talks about the these systems being unnecessary now yeah. or archaic, it just pisses me off. <laughs> yeah, like consider this. 
it is like a comforting blanket and a cup of hot cocoa on a rainy day. It, it's, like, it's not just that. I mean, I think like there are things that a turn-based battle system allows for that you lose the second it becomes a real-time system. And for me, it always comes back to the party, right? Like my love of turn-based battles is, I think, directly related to my love for good parties. Mm-hmm. Because the turn-based battle system is where you really feel like every character is meaningful. Yes. And I want to control the whole party all the time for every one of their moves. <laughs> not just the protagonist or not just selecting one. Yeah. Or like moving between them, but even still mostly focusing on one or two characters. I want full control over the entire party because as the unit, they're all equally important or they should be. Got it. And it's the turn-based battle system that allows for that. And you get to know the depth of their of their individual attacks and and. Mm-hmm rosters and all that stuff, which you wouldn't get if you were just, I'm mostly this guy. Sometimes I issue commands to mm. other characters. Like, no, you know everything, yeah. uh, all of the options, For me, all those people. More so than anything that happens in the story, it's the turn-based battle system that makes me feel a connection with my party and between my party. That's where they operate as a unit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they can do that outside of battle in the story, uh, in the story beats, but I need that in the battles as well. Yeah. Um, this is one of the things that I, I love buffs. <laughs> mm. Like I, I love the, the interplay of how, um, characters' actions impact other people in the party and how their attacks fit together. I mean, something, one of the, one of the greats for me for this is the Chrono Trigger battle system of techs where you have different specific attacks that are possible mm-hmm. depending on who you have in your party. So, you have two-person techs, you have even three-person techs that take the whole party, and you sort of have to have everyone like aligned right to make that work or work effectively. Like, I love that stuff that really leans into the potential for synergy and for difference, mm-hmm. depending on who you've got on the stage at that exact moment. That stuff is great. Yeah, and I mean, I always find turn-based battles to be so much more tense hmm. and suspenseful than real-time battles. Real-time battles, right, you can get wiped out immediately, but you, sometimes sometimes you don't really see it coming if mm-hmm. you're against a, a really strong opponent. Turn-based battles, though, you get the move-by-move, play-by-play of the battle, and it can lead to some really incredible, amazing moments that make you value certain characters more. So Chrono Cross is, a, is an example that like stands out for me as well. There's a part in the game where you need to go, I think it's when you're infiltrating Viper Manor, mm-hmm. and you can, depending on what you do, you can get one of three characters to join your party. And um, one of these characters is this guy, Pierre. <laughs> yes. He's this French, like, dandy wannabe knight. And he he's the worst one. He <laughs> sucks, at least at first. I guess he gets powerful later. He gets a little better later. But, but... he sucks. And this is who we ended up with, this mm-hmm. guy. Okay, and so we put him in our party. And we just, like, I'm playing with my cousin. We just hate this guy. <laughs> but, he, but he's in the party, and, and he's just like, always like he's just there he doesn't feel like he's contributing anything yeah but bring him along anyway we go in the game and later we're in the marshes and we have to fight this hydra do you remember yep okay pierre is just sucking he's barely doing any damage he's like he's using his little like epee and just like smacking them and like doing <laughs> yeah. 20 and it's just bad <laughs> your husband your cousin's a fencer too <laughs> so i just imagine him being so mad he wasn't guy's, at like, this point okay it's like sword technique is so <laughs> trash Anyway, I remember us going through this and this Hydra wiped my other guys and they're, they're down and I, it's just Pierre left. I know exactly where this is going. And he has he, like one more hit and he's dead. 
And yeah, the tech system comes up and we just have the weakest attack left. <laughs> and it's like, whatever, we're done. So we just click it. Pierre goes, does 20 damage. The Hydra dies. <laughs> and my cousin and I both, we like both like jumped down. We're like, Pierre! <laughs> he was a hero. He did it. He, yeah. He's like, his story arc was complete. He became a hero, a heroic knight in our eyes in that moment. And it's like only something that a turn-based battle system, only a turn-based battle system can really communicate those moments. Yeah. When you're just like scrounging, you're scraping yeah. the bottom. I mean, you get it in, in action games too. I, I think when you play a FromSoft game, you're going to feel some of these moments. Sure. But there's just something. And again, because of the the party system of like feeling, like, oh, this guy who's been just like the dregs for the last <laughs> 10 hours, he's like finally shown that he has some worth. Mm-hmm. It was it was this magical moment that just had so much weight in the context of what had just happened. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I'm glad actually that we're talking about Chrono Cross here because I really think that Chrono Cross has one of the most unique and deep battle systems in all of JRPGs. I just love it. It's like it has this cool system of equipping different spells and abilities into different like numbered ranks which are their strength when you use them and then you have a certain amount of stamina every turn and and you can spend it in different ways or save it and some attacks like build up other party member stamina like it's such a good system like when we talk about um your party members actions affecting each other and how things play out um this is like the nth of that like you're, some of the strength of your your Elemental stuff is determined even by the last couple of elements that were used on the field, which will make her stronger or less strong. There's just like, there's so much to dig into here. And it's such a special iteration of some big themes that are common with battle systems in in turn-based JRPGs, like, you know, elements of like fire and ice or water being sort of opposed and, and using that sort of strategy. To me, that's like one of the most interesting applications of of that idea. Even now, like I've played this, like I love this game, and I, and I hear that description, like that's why ten year old me didn't want to touch these <laughs> things. Like how how in the world can you say that and then be like, these are the most this is the most accessible genre anybody? Can- well, it eases you into it at the start. Like you don't start jump jumping right into the most like nuanced version of it. The other thing is like when you when I say that they're accessible, I think part of what I mean by that is that. You can play these with a pretty simple understanding and and really only following the the sort of super explicit mechanics that are explained to you and have a fun, rich experience. There is definitely another layer of depth that you can get to if you're a little more familiar or willing to dig a little deeper into the systems. Like I I've played Final Fantasy IX a bunch of times since, and like it is hilarious how little I understood about that mm. game the first time I played it. Like I barely understood the concept of elements having a relationship with each other. I had no idea what blue magic was right to the end. I I didn't really get into buffs. Like I only really was mm-hmm. keeping an eye on like how how high the damage was. It was just like, well, this is a higher number, so I'll just use that attack only. But you still can have a good time. Like that can still work as a game. It just you don't it it also rewards people who know more and are willing to dig deeper, but you can you can get through and still enjoy so much of what is great about those games, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So is that your favorite battle system? Uh, it would be one of hmm. them. It's definitely one of them. I think it stands out because it is so distinctive. Right. Um, it's it's quite different from from 
other ones of yeah. that period. Yeah, and I mean, there's some battle systems that work for the game and probably wouldn't work in other games. Like I again, like in the in Super Mario RPG and then the Paper Mario series, I love the incorporation of the action elements, but mm-hmm. that's because it suits the world. Like Mario bouncing on enemies' heads, yeah, like having to attack. time yeah. and yeah. having to time it, and and even like jumping to dodge because it it suits the world. But yeah. again, I don't want that in every game. Yeah, there's... you know what's a great element of this? Sorry to interrupt you. So we were talking about Earthbound earlier. Yeah. One of the things that I love, one of Earthbound's best ideas that I cannot believe JRPGs did not steal and use mm. forever, is when you take dam when a character takes damage in Earthbound, it doesn't just be like, oh, you had a thousand, now you're at two hundred. It actually the number like rolls down. And so if you're at a thousand HP and you take a hit that's gonna kill you, if another character can like do their menuing and like get a healing item to you before the the plummeting numbers mm-hmm. actually hit zero it'll save you like it'll like revive mm-hmm. revive you enough without letting you die that is genius yeah like it, it means when you see a character like going you're like frantically trying to get to those those yeah right. so it's it's incorporating like a real-time yeah it's incorporating like a real-time system into the turn-based battle it's genius in a way that uh, yeah like that intensifies the situation yeah that builds tension but is still within the confines of ultimately the turn-based it's so structure. good yeah yeah other battle systems i like i i tend to like ones that have some some kind of tactical elements yeah. to them without being full-blown tactics games because mm-hmm. that, that's like for me that's a separate genre and i don't want a tactics game in my jrpg or vice versa okay actually no i do want a jrpg in my tactics game like a fire emblem i was about yes. to say that exists <laughs> <laughs> that i do want we both spent 100 hours <laughs> playing that this year but i usually if i want a jrpg i don't want a full-on tactics game in the jrpg like sure. i want something else but some games that really do this well like bravely default okay um with the oh jesus christ can i tell the story about bravely default Okay. Yeah, I mean, yeah, because it ties directly to the battle system. Great. Boy, does it. So <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories about Dimitri, like briefly having a gamer moment. So it was quite a while ago, and I, I don't even remember. We'd seen something about Bravely Default on TV. I was aware basically of what the game is. Like, it's not like I didn't know anything about it, uh, but Dimitri had played it. He had played the, the first one, at least. Um, and I turned to him and I said, why is it called Bravely Default? No, you, 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 no, you said, well, that's a stupid name. I disagree, but the point is, Dimitri, without missing a, a beat, goes, "It's the name of the battle system in like the most like you goddamn idiot tone," <laughs> and I just like soared right past being offended or mad and just burst out laughing because it was so dickish it was just like it was just like how could you not know that that's the name of the puffs like okay okay it's the name of the battle system it's like okay yeah it's a good battle system i believe it it just it was really funny um but (laughs) god um basically though what that allows you to do is that the brave default system it's pretty simple but it allows you to either bank turns mm-hmm. so you do nothing or i mean you'll defend but in doing so you bank turns um so you can use multiple kind of multiple attacks in one turn yep or you can use multiple attacks in one turn and go into a turn deficit hmm. so then you can't do anything so if if like i'm buffed up and then this enemy's on the ropes and i want to use four turns that might put me into a four turn deficit but i think maybe i can kill him right mm. I, I want to do that 
But if that doesn't work, then that means my character was really useless. Really vulnerable. For, right. Yeah. So like playing with like this banking of turns. Cool. Um, is, is really fun. Another battle system um, that you might really like is from uh, Radiant Historia. Okay. Which is a fantastic game. I really think you should play it. It is in some ways, uh, it's not because it's not really made by the same team, but in a lot of ways, it, it plays a lot of the same themes of Chrono Trigger. Mm. It is it is like temporality based. Cool. But the battle system, I think you really like because it reminds me of Into the Breach. Ooh, now we're talking. So when you're fighting enemies, the enemies are on a, on a, like a three by three grid. Okay. And your characters have often the ability to like push enemies or like move them left and right. Hmm. And so the battles are often you using your first few turns to like push enemies and make them collide into each other. So they're all occupying the same square so that you can then put your heavy hitter in and do one slash and hit them all at the same time. Cool. Uh, which is very into the breach. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Like you're strategizing. Manipulating the, the, the space to be yeah. able to line things up. Yeah, yeah. Manipulating the positions of the enemy so that you can maximize your attacks right. or like or push them into traps that you've set in right. other parts of the on, in other cool. parts of that three by three board. Yeah. And like that's a, like a perfect amount of tactical right. um, systems within the turn based structure that I <laughs> that I really, really liked. I like it there better than I like it into the breach. Yeah. <laughs> uh. So what else is it about JRPGs that appeals so much to you? I love the scale. Um, I love that um, pretty universally, I think, we have, you know, personal conflicts that escalate into like world level problems to solve. Maybe not totally universally, but um, I love that the the grandness and the expansiveness of so many of them, um, even the ones that are sort of uh, have a, a set perspective. Yeah, like we talked about this with uh, Zelda yeah. a little bit. Um, but yeah, this genre just kind of takes that and explodes it. And there is a limit to how far that works, I will say. I think a, f- a funny thing is that I forget the plot of the last third <laughs> of almost every JRPG I've ever mm-hmm. played. And usually this is where they get outside even the the world parameters they've set. And there's just like some wild stuff happening. I mean, I think another one of the, another sort of JRPG excess is, is tied to this, which is the tendency in some JRPGs for you to fight what you think is the final boss Mm -hmm. or the big enemy of, of who's behind everything you've been dealing with. And then after it dies, surprise, there's a final, final boss that is like some cosmic level entity that has never been, uh, foreshadowed or is just like nothing is just like another boss. Um, so I think there, I think there are some places where this can turn into uh, excess, but 
I just, I love everything in a JRPG moves towards bigness. Everything flows towards largeness. So one thing I'm wondering, though, is how, if at all, this is articulated for you in JRPGs differently than in RPGs in general Mm. or Western RPGs, which also play with scale, often follow the kind of hero's journey structure. Yeah, totally. Um, I think it's both more pronounced and more consistent in JRPGs. There, There is sort of a lineage of Western RPGs I can think of where... You know, the the sort of um, intensification of, of the action towards the end of games is your actions having a bigger impact on, on sort of the world the character inhabits. But I don't think they tend to as uniformly uh, turn out to be these like cosmic scale or, or like global scale conflicts um, that JRPGs tend to end up in. Right. Like, I, I guess like if if you're going to end up fighting like the personification of God, oh God it's yeah. likely to be more like, or it's more likely to be in a JRPG. Yeah. And also your JRPG is likely to have that period. Yeah. It's like, <laughs> like you, or you like you defeat who you thought was the real bad guy. And then it's like, wait, I'm the real bad guy. It's me. The concept of fate. <laughs> Time itself. <laughs> and it's like this schlub. Yeah. Or like a huge pocket watch. Yeah, totally. Or a big orb. Lots of big orbs. <laughs> it changes color. Yeah. But JRPGs also, some of them, like I'm thinking of like Suikoden, Suikoden 2, that do the smaller scale geopolitical fantasy story mm-hmm. that seems to be more kind of along the like Western storytelling in terms of like Western fantasy lines. But even there, it's like, okay, you have this maybe not, it doesn't become this cosmic story, but uh, there's 108 characters that you can recruit. Right. So like, like, like it's still- <laughs> we still have a scale thing here. Yeah, totally. I mean, I think like, not unrelated to this, something that I, again, it there's a version of this that becomes a bad thing, but on balance, something I truly love about these games is like they're long. Mm-hmm. Like long's not always good, right? There's there's plenty of, of long games that just have a ton of bloat and a bunch of garbage, but it really is one of the things that I love about this genre that almost always you're really going to have time to like sit in this world with these characters. Like you're going to spend time with these people. Um, and that's, I honestly, I think part of the formula of what makes them such mm-hmm. a like nice warm bath for mm-hmm. me is just. But here's the other thing. I think we, we both played Chrono Trigger recently again. We replayed yep. it and I was shocked by how short that game is. Oh my God. Yeah. It's a weekend. It's like a 25 hour game. So it's probably more, uh, more than, than a weekend. weekend, but it's so dense. Yeah. And so you feel like you've been on this massive cosmic yeah. journey and, but like the economy of it is so incredible incredible yeah that it's uh again like that's why it's i think one of the the best ones because it just fills so much into into its time that game is so special Um, yeah the other game that for me again going back to earthbound that game plays with scale in some really interesting ways Hmm. for me um it again like it really communicates a kid's idea of an adventure and i think it it always straddles the line between like, is the story really happening or are these mm-hmm. kids just imagining that it's happening? Right. Especially the way is like the adults are reacting to them as they're right. as they're doing what they're doing. Like your mom never really seems that concerned <laughs> about what you're up to. And like it doesn't really matter in the end whether this is like make believe or whether they're actually on this journey. Sure. Um, to save the world. But it it really captures that that quality really, really well. And I mean, that game too, it doesn't even have it doesn't have a world map because world maps are something else that really communicates the sense of scale, like a mm-hmm. good world map that you can traverse. And then, of course, like part of it, you can't traverse until you get 
a ship, airship. and then you get the airship, right? And that world builds and builds and builds. Yeah. Earthbound, though, it's all like contiguous space, which is really cool because it does create the sense of a connected world, even though it is a more intimate world. Hmm. It's almost a Zelda approach to overworld stuff. Yeah, but it's but it's huge because like you take the bus to the next city. Oh, cool, cool. And the other thing that Earthbound does that I wish more games would do and more RPGs would do is after it after it kind of expands at the end contracts again. So mm. Earthbound is a thing that I wish every game would do if the plot would allow it to, where it lets you play the ending. Hmm. You fight the boss and you win, and then you can go back through all of the world to see how it has changed. Wow. And you can talk to all of the characters and it and the game really only ends once you go back home. That's so cool. And I wish nothing kind of depresses me more than a game where you beat it and then you can only load your save right before the final boss. Yes. As if nothing you did happened, especially There's in There's no way to see the after effect. Yeah, it's like, yeah. I just want, unless something catastrophic happens in the world, sure, sure, up, sure, or sure, like sure. it, it yeah. changes in such a way that they'd have to redo all the assets. Yeah. But just like, let me go back into this world and just have 10 different dialogue options that make me feel like something has changed. And I'm yeah. going to like that game so much better. Yeah, 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 totally. I think another thing that's not unrelated to the question of scale that is distinct in JRPGs and so important to me is the way these games mark growth. Uh, like growth in JRPGs is such an important element. And I think JRPGs are some of the best games at articulating and celebrating your growth and like articulating them to you in trackable ways that feel so good to your stupid lizard brain, like leveling up getting those extra skill points, getting something you can allocate, getting a new weapon that has like two stronger attack and equipping it and like, oh, ooh, feels I mean, good. And and I think this is really even more so than scale, a thing that is an RPG thing, not just a JRPG thing. Sure. But I think in both of our cases, this is where we encountered it first. Like we encountered this in the context of JRPGs. Yeah. I mean, it really goes back to the tabletop tradition. Mm-hmm. And yeah, there's something so kind of pleasurable about like seeing the bones of the game. Yeah. Right? Like seeing what the math is yeah. and and it just like playing the spreadsheet. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I remember specifically saying in our episode about Shadow of the Colossus mm-hmm. how how much I liked that those bosses were not a matter of mm-hmm. of this mathiness, but sometimes the math is fun. <laughs> yeah. And it, right, like it, it's so transparent about what's happening in the background of like the numbers the game is running. Yeah. And- and yeah, I, if uh, those are literal, like in a in a weird way, it I I don't ever interpret those as having any literal mathematical application. Hmm. Like I, those numbers for me are like purely like uh, representational of some sort of scale. Like it, weirdly, this is actually the first moment that it has occurred to me that those may actually be the numbers that the game is using in the background to figure stuff out. I mean, certain numbers have to be like your HP is. That number is sure, kind of sure, sure, sure. Yeah, your hit points and yeah. how much damage you do is what is what is subtracted from yeah. that number. And and yeah, like there's something about yeah. And I don't want that in every game, but yeah, but in JRPGs and again, especially in the context of like a of a turn based game, just like seeing the seeing the numbers, the yeah. numbers battle is kind of is kind of fun. Um, it's it's weird. Like going back to Super Mario RPG, I didn't really understand the other numbers in the background. Mm-hmm. So so in that game, how the leveling system works. First of all, the numbers you're dealing with are pretty small. Like you beat that game at level 18. Hmm. So it's it it is again like an onboarding process. It's kind of like weaning you into it a little bit. But whenever you level up, you can 
you can get a bonus in HP or in physical attack and defense or magic attack and defense. Okay. And you select one of the three. And I remember the first time I played it, I only selected HP. Because <laughs> like, well, that I know- <laughs> Why it, would I want this other stuff? Yeah, like, why would I choose anything else? This is the number I see. I want. I can see that number go up. Right. I want that number to be as high right. as possible. What an idiot I was. <laughs> I never increased my attack power. Right. I just like HP every time. <laughs> I could still finish the game. But yeah, I just didn't know. I just didn't understand more about what was happening in the background sure. because I wasn't familiar with the genre yet. And yeah, then, that makes sense. You know, as you go and you learn what these different attributes are and what the different variables are and how and like part of the pleasure for some people is just learning how to game that completely. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The min-maxing yeah. sort of approach to stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I am kind of sympathetic to that. It's funny. You also just have talked about one of the the simplest and purest pleasures, which is like having some input into what grows in your character. Mm. Like, I, I again, I know this isn't just a JRPG thing, but like I have never met a skill tree I didn't like. <laughs> like I personally, like if you, I will happily apply the skill points or AP or whatever to level up literally anything that you give me to do. I love that shit. Like, oh, you know how earlier I said that uh, Final Fantasy X is a game that I like much more than mm-hmm. I like the party? So like I have- Like that sphere grid? Damn, I have <laughs> I have actually replayed Final Fantasy X purely because I had a craving for the sphere grid. Like I I just had it in me that I got a craving for like doing this leveling up system mm. of allocating um, through this sort of lateral map thing. It's really really cool. Uh, the sphere grid, um, like that was enough to bring me back to that game at one point. So here's the thing, I I like this. I don't like that skill trees are in every game now. I do yeah, not like that's that. Fair. I do not want, and I love this game, but I don't want a skill tree in Spider Man. It's like in in the RPG setting, I like that lizard brain feeling of seeing the numbers go up of his stats and and like and and the HP. Yeah. But when it's in an for me, when it's in like the action game context, I want to know that I am improving, not mm. my character. And I think that's just I don't know that might just be a me thing. Yeah. I get that. I, I want my character to get a better dodge roll at some point. That is a thing that feels good and makes sense and is an extension of the character's body changing, not my input changing. Gets, okay, well, or if he gets a better dodge roll, he should just get a better dodge roll. Not like it, he shouldn't get the better dodge roll because I decided to go down the left branch of a skill tree. Okay. It's just something I just don't like that every game thinks it has to, they have to do this now. Yeah, fair enough. But yeah, by and large, the. The experience of seeing and feeling your character get more powerful in a game is, yeah, it's it's great. It feels and, so good. And, and no, and really, I don't think men, RPGs do it best, and JRPGs do it incredibly, incredibly well. Yeah. Again, Earthbound, the thing where once you get powerful, you just automatically win battles. Oh yeah. That it, it's just such a, a clear way to communicate your growth. That also is just it's just a nice quality of life thing to give the player, where you don't have to go and fight these these lesser enemies although persona does that as well in either four or five i can't remember and it is extremely cursed because in persona sometimes you want to fight an uh uh, an enemy because you need to capture them so that you can synth them with other enemies to make 
the strongest. Right. Yeah. It depends things. on what the systems are. are at <laughs> needs to here. work with the other elements. Yeah. I very specifically remember times when I was like, no. Oh, but now they bring up Persona. One other thing about growth games that have stylized level up screens or even post battle screens. Mm -hmm. Where you can see, you see all the XP go into your into your stats, and you like just like the casino. Oh yeah, um, like the casino strategies they <laughs> yeah. use to just make that feel so good. <laughs> like manipulate me, do it. Yeah, I I love it. Yeah, I know, and I, it's like I know what you're doing, but yep. but yeah, make me feel like I hit the jackpot every time I f I finish a battle. Like just show those numbers go in, and like this, and like the stats improve, and the numbers go up, and then when I level up, make it a big celebration. Persona Five, best at that. You have these gorgeous exit screens where like you see your character you're walking all cool like whoever's mm -hmm. the last one to like fell a bad guy and all the stuff allocates oh it's so good <laughs> so maybe let's uh rapid fire some other things we like about jrpgs without going to too much detail uh cities and towns little villages inns you can stay at especially when your character's not bigger than the village <laughs> they go into it <laughs> Um, one thing for me, and we talk about how much we love these things in every episode, secrets, just secrets, worlds that are that feel so big that you think you must have missed something mm -hmm. in them. Um, and again, like related to that games with missable content, any game that can start rumors. And it's it's kind of a lost art these days. because right. of, The Internet has ruined it. You know what else works? And the I data love actually the data miners. The data miners. Um, you. RPG, JRPGs are long enough you can have in-game rumors like give mm, me like mm -hmm. odd NPCs in different towns mm -hmm. talking about I've I've heard like so-and-so went to the mountains he was looking for something special I wonder if he found with like that setting up that mm -hmm. stuff with like little offhand comments from characters in the world so good I love that uh the sort of sense of humor that JRPGs almost always have even really even really ones with serious stuff, there always tends to be like a thread of, of playfulness or silliness um, that also goes through them. Mm -hmm. And and I just love that. And that, I think, differentiates it from a like RPGs in general. Yeah. That there is, there is some levity. Mm -hmm. Often that levity is articulated in a very pervy way. Yes. But uh, sometimes it's not. <laughs> <laughs> Listen. <laughs> this is dumb, but fast travel systems... Opening up fast travel systems, like finally getting them. Fast travel Incredible. or modes of transportation. Yeah, totally. No, yeah. Like which one? Both. Like, <laughs> uh, like I love finally opening up fast travel. I love the moment when you finally get a chocobo or get your ship or whatever. Like that, that moment when it's all of a sudden this thing that was so cumbersome, this travel is just going to be so much. It's like the game's like, okay, you've, you've earned, you've proved that you can do the stuff that it takes to just get around this world, basically. So we're not going to keep making you do that grind. You're like, here, like, go nuts. Man, the grind. The grind. The can grind. Be, <laughs> the grind is something that can be really fun. And it really does tie into all of these other things. Yeah. A moment where you can, like, hang out with your party. It's a moment where you can grow as characters. You see your numbers go up. And it's just relaxing sometimes. Obviously, games can overdo it that yeah. force you to grind. But sometimes it's nice to just listen to the soundtrack totally put, or put on a podcast or yeah. something and just like do the grind <laughs> yeah um recurring enemies in over game series uh your malboros mm -hmm. your slimes your tonberries 
Um, this is something I absolutely love. How are how those, is it going to show up? Those in this weird, uh, gross, like penis monstrosities from the Persona series. They're called Maras. They're <laughs> awful. Um, I yeah, I love seeing different iterations of these sort of um, special series, unique characters that come or uh, enemies that come back again mm-hmm, and again. Mm-hmm. Honestly, JRPGs are good. Yeah, they 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 are good, and there are a lot of them. Yes, <laughs> you will almost never run out. Yeah. So are there any are there any that you're really looking forward to playing? Any like big JRPG blind spots that maybe either for this show or just because you want to play them um, that you really want to get to? Absolutely. Um, so I have never played uh, Sukoden 2, which I know a lot of people love. That's right. Yeah. You played the first one, yep. which is wild that you didn't go right directly into the second one. It just happened that way. Um, I have never played a Tales game. Mm. which is a series that I know one of my brothers really loves um, and keeps telling me that I would love. You know, I believe him. That is that is anime. Yeah, I know that, I mean, actually. I, yeah, there's there's some... I haven't played a lot of them. I've played a few, and I really like them. But yeah, just uh, yeah, okay. warning. <laughs> um, I love the Personas, but I've never played a Shin Megami Tensei. That's where my blind spot is. I haven't played like a mainline Shin Megami Tensei. Yeah. I think that's what I really want to do. Yeah. Um, I've never played a Dragon Quest, although I did play Dragon Quest Builders 2. Um, <laughs> I don't know if this is like something I really, I'm sure I would like it one if I picked it up and got into it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I've never played a Xeno anything, no Xeno Gears, uh, Xeno Blade Chronicles, no, none of those. Okay, the, the Chronicles remaster is coming out soon. I think we got to, we got to get you on that. Yeah. I've also had I people tell series. me that I would love those. Um, and just an odd one that it has stuck in my head that lots of people I love I, whose tastes are similar to mine really love uh skies of arcadia oh yeah I've never mm-hmm. played that yeah that's it that is a good one yeah um yeah i i'd say those are those are the big ones for me and i think the other big one for you that um, is not technically a jrpg but is very much influenced by it is undertale yes that you haven't right that you haven't played and you somehow don't know much about and so maybe not the like the the fear around that game has died down maybe you can go and Get yeah, no, I, I'd love to pick that up again. It just it makes me so happy that even in one of my favorite genres that I feel like I've explored so much of, there's still also so many games that people love that I haven't played yet or or tried. Like there's still so much more to explore in this in this space. Like that's so cool. I, I mentioned this, I think, on episode zero. This is the thing that stresses me out that what if my favorite game is, is out there already and it's, <laughs> it's been available for 20 years and I just don't know. And it this yet. is what I said that I'm just like, look at this bounty. This is great. <laughs> and that's still exactly how I feel. I'm just like, man, there's so much good stuff ahead of me still. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess before you can move ahead with these new series um, in our next episode, you're really going to be going back mm-hmm. and, and playing Final Fantasy VII Remake. I'm so excited about this. So we'll see you next time when Michelle returns to Midgar and learns that it's actually pronounced Mako Uh. and learns that living with the anxiety that a new remake could retroactively ruin an old fave (laughs) is an important part of becoming a gamer. (laughs) 